0: Welcome to the Armchair Trader podcast. Uh, This week, we are talking to Michelle Robinson, the chief geologist at Brigadier Gold. Regular visitors to the website will know that we've been doing quite a lot of analysis on Brigadier Gold, which is exploring the Picachos project in Mexico. We have been very interested in this stock. We have been following it closely, and uh, we like the prospects of the project that it is currently exploring. So welcome to the podcast, Michelle. Tell us more about Brigadier Gold and uh, your experience in mining.
1: Brigadier Gold is a a new company or a recently revived company. I I think the junior resource market really started to pick up some steam last July. The concessions are called the Tango Concessions. The project is um, located on the Picachos village. So it's, the company refers to it as the project, as the Picachos project.
0: You've been in Mexico for a number of years now. Can you tell us what first drew your attention to the Picachos project?
1: I first learned about the Picachos project from my boss, Denny Francoeur. He sent me a news release with some interesting results published by a previous owner, which was maybe not an owner, but an optionee called Thunderbird uh, Projects. And the results were actually very high for gold. And of course, gold is gold. I mean, it's it's precious, it's yellow, it's beautiful, and it's money. So that's obvious why it's interesting. <laughs> so according to this PR, the samples taken by Thunderbird Projects contained values of gold that ranged from 48.69 to grams per tonne gold across a width of about 1.2 metres and subdued silver values of 40 to 115 grams per tonne silver. While there were two things that were obvious to me, one is that the reported gold grades were very high. And at today's metal prices, even, you know, with all the fluctuations in the market that we're seeing, you know, those values range between $3,000 to about $8,700 per tonne. And the second thing that I noticed upon reviewing this paper is that the ratios of about one part gold to one or two parts silver made no sense whatsoever for the Picachos project that I was working on in Durango, which was silver dominant. And I plotted up on whatever information I can get, which are the the geographic location, the geochemistry the geochemical maps made available by the government at that time at that time i only had very regional data which was 1 to 250,000 scale and there were some other observations that came out of that the government stream sediment geochemical database to find an, om- an anomaly that was much larger than that possible by erosion from the san augustine mine alone and that there had to be other worthwhile prospects nearby i Outlined an area on the map that I thought was interesting and asked my fastest prospector, Jose, to go look at it. And so on his first day, he found the San Agustin mine at it, verified it was basically where I thought it was. (laughs) And he just took a few underground rock chip channel samples and one sample from the dump near the claim post. On his second day, he ran up the mountain from the village of Picachos to a place called Botica, which is located about four kilometers northeast of San Agustin. And he took seven additional dump and rock chip channel samples from northwesterly trending tatamales and the Wotika veins. Gold values in his samples ranged from 21 grams per tonne gold to about 0.1. None of them contained zero. Of these, seven had more than one gram and five contained more than five grams per tonne gold. And I read that the sample set that first discovered the sleeper mine in Nevada had only one sample with more gram per tonne gold so from this early technical data in particular compared to similar discoveries it was obvious to me that there was a major precious metal system here the first day's work was to locate the san augustine mine at it and it had been active by a company called minas de picacho in the 1990s and in those days there was a mill uh, in the village of picacho as well as a an office building constructed by the company.
0: And that mine was um, closed in the nineties, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, well, when we went there, the mine was no longer active and the uh, mill uh, was no longer on the property. Or if it was on the property, it was removed shortly thereafter.
0: What level of gold content would you need to be seeing to make this a profitable mine?
1: I start to think at about a hundred dollars a ton uh, in situ value that, that might be recoverable by underground mining methods. So right now that's about two grams of gold. Now there are other minerals in in the vein, which include uh, silver and and, uh, certain uh, anomalous base metals, which may or may not uh, prove to be important contributors to the value of this vein going forward. And we're just exploring at this point.
0: You've been very busy already with exploration on the site in 2020. Are you able to talk us through your findings?
1: Okay, well we're a small junior mining company and we're currently operating with one diamond drill. The property has limited historic drilling and small scale artisanal mines. So we are located between the Panico camp and the GR Silver camps. So this is important. Those camps, they have larger scale active underground mines and significant historic drill hole databases. We don't have the same history as our neighbors, but we do have a much higher amplitude geochemical anomaly underlying our property. So I think that's really significant. The other thing to consider is that our property is about 4,000 hectares. It is a, a fairly large property. So one diamond drill, we're just getting started really. We're just trying to get traction by testing under the San Augustine mine. We saw this as the lowest risk target, as we had enough survey data from the historic underground workings to accurately locate the San Augustine vein and enough of our own hard-won underground samples to confirm the gold-rich nature of the mineralization. Topographically, San Augustine is located in lower ground and it's easier to work there. And I'm pleased to report that all the holes announced to date have intercepted gold-rich mineralization over what's expected to be mineable by underground methods. There's still a lot of drilling left to do to fully define it. But our early results are very encouraging. And the company has put out press releases dated on 9 December and 24 November. That fault that the vein is on is really important. (laughs) And I didn't know it was there. And even though I had been working on the property, I mean, I had spent time in other areas. And this rock, the argillite, it's really hard to recognize on surface. It's not till you get clean cuts from a, you know, a diamond drill, which polishes the rock, that you really see it very well. That's when I started to feel in my gut how important this vein will probably be in a subjective way, you know, apart from whatever numbers that, you know, we're generating from the assays and so on.
0: You're obviously very experienced with the mining industry in Mexico. Can you tell us a bit more about how friendly the regulatory environment is there for especially for explorers and for miners?
1: Mexico permits a certain level of exploration under what they call these uh, normas. In those normas they publish you know the width of uh, roads, the size of drill pads, the size of trenches, And so you can do a lot of work under the normas without having to go through any special permitting process in certain areas. Right now, we're working inside the norma 120. uh, 120.
0: In your reports, you mentioned diamond drilling. Can you explain to listeners who are not familiar with that technology how important that is?
1: The diamond drill is important because it, it polishes the rock surface. The diamond drill for... For your people who maybe don't know much about it, it's um, it's a hollow bit. So there, it's what it does is it cuts around the rock, cuts a circle around the rock. And the part that it doesn't cut goes up into a tube. And this tube recovers an entire sample. And the bit uses diamonds to polish the rock as it's cutting. So you get it up to surface and you get a polished surface that lets you see things like the textures of the rock and other things like the... Um, veining, quartz veining in the rock. So you can measure things like the width of a vein, or you can measure things like the size of crystals in in the rock itself. So it allows for you to start to quantify a lot of things that you can't do with other types of drilling, such as percussion drilling that really just recover chips. You can also take the assays a lot more precisely.
0: Obviously the big story last year and into this year has been the coronavirus. Can you say whether the labs that have been analysing rock samples have been delayed at all because of that?
1: Uh, I, I think the assays are coming in at an okay pace. I, I think mostly we got a little bit slowed down over the holidays, but that's normal, right? People like to you know, clean out their offices and their labs and so on during the holidays. <laughs> So I I do expect that our next batch of results will be coming out in January, more or less as scheduled. Perhaps a little bit later. And what are your what
0: are your plans beyond January?
1: I think that drilling San Augustine is worthwhile. I've put it into a uh, a model, and I can start to see the value in it. Obviously, the company is not prepared to publish that yet, but it will probably be prepared to publish uh, these things in the coming months and so on after we do another round of drilling. So I would continue expanding San Augustine to the south. I would like to go to a place called the Cocomeca on our property, and that's really special because it's the intercept of the Cocomeca structure, which bisects our property along a seven kilometer strike length. And it intersects with a swarm of northerly, northwesterly trending veins and in fact, in early December, we drilled two holes under the San Antonio mine up in that area to better understand one of our historic rock chip channel samples with a result of 44 grams per ton of gold and 44 grams of ton of silver, as well as 0.4 copper, 0.2 lead, and 0.7 zinc across 0.8 meters. Both of the holes drilled up there intercepted a hydrothermally altered rock from the collar to the end, lots of quartz veining with minor amounts of pyrite, calcopyrite, and sphalerite. So from what I can see in the core, I think the minimal width will be much larger than the 0.8 meters implied by the surface assay.
0: Apart from gold and silver, your samples have also showed the rock contains some copper and molybdenum. Do you envisage mining those metals in the future as well?
1: This is going to depend on how the metallurgist recommends uh, recovering the metals. At San Agustin... Metal has been recoverable by activated heat uh, vat leaching. It's also recoverable by producing a sulfide concentrate. Both ways work very well. At the end of the day, we're going to try to define a larger resource and, of course, hire a metallurgist to optimize uh, the recovery for San Augustine. And that, at that time, there would be a statement made by the company about what metals it will be recovering and how much and what the expected recovery rates are. We're, we're still too early stage. Like we haven't, as a company, haven't done our own metallurgical testing. Like mi- most of what I'm talking about is historic in nature. The property itself is located to about 27 kilometers to the uh, northeast mm-hmm. from the village of Kakulatan, which is the last village that is on grid power. Cacalatan is about 10 kilometers to the northeast of Rosario. We've recently upgraded our road. So the transit time from the property to Cacalatan is down to an hour. So it's, it's not really, I mean, I think about remote projects. I think about Canada and fly in, fly out, you know, the Northwest mm-hmm. Territories, that's remote. This is, this isn't remote. In the 1990s, the Mexican foreign investment law was changed to allow up to a hundred percent ownership of foreign, of uh, foreign ownership of assets including corporations with mining titles. And a lot of people besides myself came to the country to look for opportunities.
0: So the last question for today is, if there was one thing which you would like to convey to interested investors about the Picatros project, what would it be?
1: I would like to say the size and perhaps not so much in hectares. It is a 4,000 hectare project. Uh, it's, it's In terms of area, it's a medium size. It's definitely respectable. But I think in terms of the mineral systems, it's really, that that's where I, I sense the size. It's a big project with a lot of things happening geologically. Now, I don't recall the latest figures for how big Cananea is or anything else, but I was at Buena Vista in 2017, I think, on a field trip with the Association of Geologists and um, Metallurgists and Engineers of Mexico. And when I was there, They were mining 800,000 tonnes per day in 2017. When I graduated from UBC, I went to Highland Valley Copper, and we thought 30,000 tonnes per day was a big number. The scale of these things is just amazing.
0: Thank you, Michelle Robinson, Chief Geologist of Brigadier Gold. You've been listening to the Armchair Trader podcast. To get uh, up-to-date commentary on what's happening in the share markets, both in Europe and North America, and our views on some of the emerging investment stories in the small cap space, make sure you check out www.thearmchairtrader.com and sign up to our free daily newsletter.